Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I came across a disturbing article I today. I did not want to see what you texted me. Ah, okay. Well, the article is in the Washington Post, and the headline is, In the world of sexual fetishes, crossing the political aisle is a kink. Do you think that there are really people incorporating politics into BDSM, or is this some Beltway nonsense? This is some fucking Beltway nonsense. I have, this This would involve a level of creativity that by and large, people in politics don't have. <laughs> I'm just Fair saying. Enough. Fair enough. Well, it's a super fun episode this week. I got to talk to Sleater Kinney. So Corin exciting. Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. Two musical heroes of mine whose work has been super important to a lot of people for a really long time. It was really fun to talk to them. And then uh, we got a panel. Such a good post-holiday vibe going. We talk about overconsumption and you have to stick around to see what we're talking about. (laughs) And then, of course, we also talk about news this week. We talk about all of the lawsuits that we're seeing in New York State and elsewhere and why we're Mm -hmm. seeing those lawsuits. And then we talk a little bit about abortion messaging going into 2024. And then, of course, we wrap everything up with a healthy dose of Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Yep. All right, you're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who understand that George Santos absolutely should not be in Congress, but still will kind of miss the sparkling of that crazy diamond when he does leave. (laughs) He's grown on me. He's, Aaron, we all need a cartoon in Congress, and he's the gift that keeps giving. I just love... I love I love the I love that it is out there. I love that his ridiculousness is on his sleeve and it's out there and and it's entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would say, though, that I I I think it'll be good that he's got when he's gone, because a lot of the really bad stuff that people in Congress do, like trading stocks obviously on information that they shouldn't be trading stocks on. That's boring. It's like more boring than buying OnlyFans and Botox with campaign money, you know? Ferragamo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, whatever, Botox and OnlyFans, should you be doing it? No, that's bad. You should not be doing that. But there are worse things that other people are doing, and maybe when George Santos's big, loud show is gone, we can start focusing on the boring but more serious crimes of people. I mean, he learned from the best, right? He and Donald Trump. I mean, Trump has like loads of very serious crimes, but also grifters of an utterly different level using constituent money for like crimes and Botox. Yeah, it's it's like it's almost impressive at this point. You know, the the level of lying and the the brazenness and the boldness. I would say that he's like a disruptor of the truth. In Silicon Valley talk. He is too outrageous to be a viable character on 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) 
<laughs> Honestly, if he were on 90 Day Fiance, that would maybe bring me back to the show. The show has it's, gotten it's, it's gotten too to much. be like too it's it's become self-aware to the point yeah. where I don't I feel like I'm watching people performing being on 90 Day Fiance rather than just watching people's lives. George Santos bringing his true authentic self to TLC. Authentic self. Isn't authenticity the Merriam-Webster word of the year? It is. It is. It is. Or- Though some felt it should have been Ozempic. <laughs> I mean, it's only a matter of time before a rapper rhymes Ozempic and authentic in a song. We just did the work for them. We just It's a free rhyme. I can't rap. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Someone wants it. They could just have it. Um, okay. Oh, one, one final question about Santos. Um, yeah. I don't want him to leave Washington. I'm just going to say. I think he's such a, a, a chaos muppet that he's a a, he's a chaos muppet and he's also like a unifying force what else has brought democrats and republicans together other than their uh other other than i was gonna say their repulsion other than their (laughs) disdain for george santos yeah and that's kind of funny i want him to get a podcasts like one of those messy gossip podcasts when you listen to it you're like "Mm, are you gonna get sued for saying this stuff I want, you mean I, all the anonymous ones? Yeah, yeah. I want like him to be like a, like a Demois-type podcast, but about Capitol Hill, where he just like makes wild implications about his former colleagues in Congress. And um, and we all like make wildly irresponsible speculation around what people are doing. So anyway, we don't need any more podcasts except that one. That is the one yeah, just new that podcast one. that I think is necessary and needed is George Santos Hosting a DC gossip podcast, uh, make it happen. Make it so. But then you and I could make a scripted TV show about said podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What is media right now? Um, Okay. I want to talk about a story that uh, you and I were talking about this over text Mm -hmm. this week. And I think it provides some really good context to help people understand why we're seeing a certain type of story in the news so much. So- Uh, I think I want to say a week and a half ago, a week ago, there was a bombshell, horrifying lawsuit against P. Diddy filed in New York, alleging years and years of horrific abuse by uh, by an an ex-girlfriend alleged this against against P. Diddy. Um, And then shortly thereafter, a lawsuit was filed against New York City Mayor Eric Adams, alleging Mm -hmm. that he had committed sexual assault when he was a member of the police force in 1993. There are a bunch of lawsuits being filed. Russell Brand, there's a lawsuit, uh, there's been lawsuits filed against Donald Trump. Um, But there's a reason for this. And Alyssa, I would love for you to kind of explain to our listeners why we're seeing all of these lawsuits and uh, what what's going on in other places that might enable similar lawsuits to be filed. Well, Aaron, a lot of people, and I think this is kind of why you and I wanted to talk about it, a lot of people don't know that this happened back in 2019 and uh, is ongoing and in many states where survivors and victims of sexual abuse actually have a chance to... Uh, get some justice. So first, in 2019, New York State increased the statute of limitations from one year to 20 years for civil and criminal sex crimes cases. 
Then in May 2022, the Adult Survivors Act passed, which lets victims who are over 18 at the time of abuse one chance to file lawsuits despite the statute of limitations running out. In addition to that, New York State went even further and followed the Adult Survivors Act with the Child Victims Act, which included a one-year look-back window during which old childhood sex abuse claims whose statute of limitations had expired and could be revived. So, Aaron, under these laws that New York State passed, one of which expired uh, right before Thanksgiving, which is why we saw this flurry of, of cases, I mean, Aaron, thousands of cases were filed. The number of cases filed in the state Supreme Court alone rose from 803 at the end of October to almost 1,400 uh, just last week. So people are, women are out there and they are learning about this. And the thing is so many people didn't know, and this is actually also happening in other states. But one thing that was appalling and should be flagged is that 479 cases alone here in New York um, were against corrections officers in the prison system, specifically Rikers. So that's really bad and seems like something uh, the state should look into. But other states, Aaron, that we get, Arizona, California, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, New Jersey, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and Minnesota all have look back sexual assault laws. And other states have windows that they opened that are still open right now, which include Colorado, Arkansas, Louisiana, Maine, Nevada, and Vermont. So this is great news, something that hasn't gotten a lot of coverage, but victims should know about because they deserve their moment. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really stunning to know that before 2019, before New York State did this, they that people only had a year. Yeah. Can people, you imagine that? People only had a, a year to file civil cases regarding sexual misconduct. That is pretty crazy. Um, I'm glad that this exists. It, it seems yeah. like it, I, I'm worried and I wonder how this is impacting courts. Not to say that these laws shouldn't exist because it clogs up the courts, but I'm wondering, you know, what's the backlog look like? How are states handling that. Do you know what's interesting that I did not know as I was poking around? Do you know that Manhattan civil courts are, or criminal courts rather, that Manhattan criminal courts are open till 1 a.m. most nights? What? That's Isn't crazy. Isn't that crazy? I know. I'm never That's up that late. How much work public defenders have to do. Ugh. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty wild. That is pretty wild. So, Alyssa, now that first wave, uh, that that one-year window closed in New York, is there talk of opening a window again? Like, what, what's what's next? They're talking. So, we have the Adult Survivors Act, which helps, and they are they are talking about reopening the window, but that is not uh, that's not set in stone yet. Okay. Okay. Well, that's super interesting. And I would imagine that there are some organizations that really don't like these laws, uh, namely like religious organizations that now have to deal with, um, they have to deal with the consequences of their actions, uh, which is a bummer, but you know, warranted, (laughs) warranted, warranted. Um, yeah, here are some of the, uh, other names that have been implicated during this window. Harvey Weinstein, Jamie Foxx, Steven Tyler, Bill Cosby, L.A. Reid, Axl Rose, Mike Tyson, Andrew Cuomo, Rudy Giuliani, 
So all of these like prominent lawsuits Mm -hmm. dealing with actions that allegedly happened a long time ago because of these laws. So now you know. Now you know. Speaking of one of the subjects of these look back lawsuits, Donald Trump. That guy. He's running he's running for president. He's uh he's got enough criminal charges to fill a whole Pandora bracelet. Um <laughs> he, he uh yeah, if anybody's looking for a gift for the man who has everything is a, a charm for each one of his 91. Charm for each indictment. Yeah, I think that that would be just like a really sweet thing for his extended family to do for him is to just give him a Pandora bracelet of all of his charges. Um Trump is running for president though and he's still the front runner of the GOP field into 2024. It doesn't look like anything can stop him because not even reality has stopped him from believing and doing whatever he wants for most of his life. He is now trying to run as an abortion moderate. That's bullshit. So Donald Trump literally appointed the three justices to the Supreme Court who joined the conservative majority in Dobbs that overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, and in recent weeks, according to two people familiar with the matter, Donald Trump has privately remarked that many anti-abortion leaders have now no leverage to force him to do anything anymore. Mm. So now, because he's all, he's their only choice. Like, who are they? Who are the anti-abortion groups going to back? Joe Biden, right? They're not going to back Joe Biden. So they have no leverage to force him to do anything anymore. So now he is saying that he is not going to publicly support a national abortion ban. Um, He's going to run as a moderate and pretend that he is not the person responsible for the mess we're in right now and that he is the solution to the problems that he caused. Alyssa, what do you make of this? Aaron, here's... Okay. Liz Cheney has a book that's coming out, right? Thank God. You know, you know why I give her just fucking tons of credit? I don't agree with her on almost anything, but she says what she believes and she kind of sticks to it. And if she changes her mind, she sort of talks it through. No one can believe anything. Donald Trump says there is nothing that he has not backpedaled on or lied about or like, I don't know how voters can vote for him because he's literally just a liar. Like the idea that he would run as a moderate when he is the reason that Roe was overturned. He is a reason that SB8 exists in Texas. He is a reason there are gynecological deserts throughout the country why OBGYNs are fleeing certain states. It's because of him. Nobody but him. Nobody but him. Not even Mitch McConnell, this malevolent. It's all because of Trump. And the idea that he's going to stand up and be like, how do you like me now? You can't do anything. I'm like, gum on your shoe, Republican Party. What? It's it is he was pro choice in 1999. He's on Meet the Press being like, I am the most pro choice. Then he is the then he's like, we should criminalize women and send them to jail if they have an abortion, if it's illegal. He is a fucking liar and a very bad man, Aaron. Yeah, it it's also interesting that he is running ads in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, according to the New Republic. He's running ads in Iowa where he is calling himself the most 
pro-life president of all time. So yeah, what I think is super interesting about this is that he's trying to, you know, those scenes in TV shows where like two people will be talking to each other and then a third person will come up to one of the two people that's talking and be like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? They'll step two steps away from the original yeah. person. Like the other one have can't a hear? Yeah, and have a conversation. That they, that's what Donald, that's how Donald Trump thinks like politics works. Like he's sitting yeah. here having a conversation with his Iowa people. He's like, listen, I am so pro-life. Look what I did. Look, proof is in the pudding, guys. Look what I did. Look what right. I did. Oh, wait a second. Oh, hey, Hey, voters, I'm going to just talk to you over here for a minute. Take two steps over and be like, I'm a moderate now. I'm a moderate. I'm not like these other crazy people. I'm a moderate. I think the thing, and I, and I, and I know that we'll get, we'll get into her in a little bit, um, but I think that Nikki Haley has much more adeptly maneuvered this than Donald yeah. Trump possibly could. Totally. And and I and I don't like giving her credit, but I also, you know, have to give her more credit than Donald Trump. I think she's a more skilled. She's she's better at finessing. Mm-hmm. She's better at finessing messages than Donald Trump is. And her moderation on abortion makes a lot more sense and is a lot less of a blatant lie. Yeah. Than Donald Trump's. Like, we know that Nikki Haley would support a national abortion ban if she was given the opportunity to. We know that because she said yep. it. She said it in sort of this convoluted way, but we know it because she said it. Donald Trump also is the person responsible for overturning Roe, for appointing the justices that overturned Roe. He's responsible for appointing the justice that tried to instill a national ban on the abortion pill from his perch in fucking Amarillo, Texas. You know, he's not, he doesn't have any plausible deniability for the fact that he is not a moderate on abortion. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, doesn't have that track record. And she can go up on the debate stage and say all these kind of soft focus, friendlier Less, much friendly, totally m- less confrontational. I think that it's much more believable that Nikki Haley goes up there. This because this is a story that she's trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. She's on stage and she's like, "Look, I've seen how abortion does in elections. The voters clearly don't like the idea of a national abortion ban. We don't have the votes to impose a national abortion ban. So I'm not going to try to strong arm that into happen le- happening. Let's be realistic. That's what Nikki Haley's saying. It's like, okay, yeah. that follows." That follows. But Donald Trump being like, I banned abortion. I made it so abortion could be possibly banned in places like Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, etc. And then being like, I'm a moderate. It's just you have to have a smooth, smooth brain to believe what Donald Trump is saying. Nikki Haley is a little trickier. Um, but let's She's get it. trickier. She's let's- trickier. He's he's pro-life for his life and his life only. <laughs> he is pro saying whatever he needs to say to yeah. convince just enough people to believe him. He doesn't need he doesn't need everybody to believe him. He just needs a small number of people to believe him. Right. And uh, I don't know. Let's talk about Nikki Haley though. Let's talk about Nikki Nikki. Haley. Nikki girl. She's having a big week. She's having a big week. Uh, Nikki's not your friend. Folks, Nikki's no. not your friend. You know why? Why, Aaron? She's the Koch brothers' friend. 
She's not just their friend. She's their number one pick. She's their number one pick. So why are the Cokes interested in Nikki Haley, Alyssa? Aaron, the Cokes want to get rid of Trump, and they think that Nikki may have the best chance to do it because she's polling, as we've seen. Her polls have done nothing but go up and up and up since the debate started in a lot of polls uh, where they match uh, Nikki and other candidates against Biden. She does exceptionally well in some of these polls. And so the Cokes were like, girl, we got you. And really what this is, is money. Um, there's not much else that they bring to the table. And at this point, it's hard to understand whether the money at this point can make a huge difference. Like for Nikki, she has to come in. She has to do pretty well in Iowa to then like go on to New Hampshire and then hopefully have like her moment in South Carolina. But um, it's it's unclear whether she can uh, beat either Trump or DeSantis in Iowa Iowa caucuses usually mean you need some level of organization, and most reports indicate that she does not have much of a ground game in Iowa right now. So, you know, who knows? But this is, she must feel pretty good about, the memes were other level on Instagram yesterday, Nikki getting the Coke endorsement. Yeah, the thing thing about Nikki Haley is, I think that the Coke brothers... I'm going to say a controversial statement here. I think they're out of touch. I don't think they oh, really, you think? <laughs> I don't think they really have a handle on the way that voters, specifically Republican Party voters, use and discard women in the Republican Party. Yeah. Like they need Republicans need women and and I'm not saying this doesn't happen in other parties as well but I see this happening more dramatically in the Republican party and it it is that they use women as sort of smoke screens against accusations of misogyny like how could we be misogynist we got like two bitches right we here we have a woman <laughs> yeah we got a woman how could we, we... possibly be misogynist and they're Some like wait our... have you seen Elise Stefanik too we have two women they got two women. Uh, some of their best moms are women. Um, they've they're they use them as smoke screens and then discard them before they actually have a chance to achieve any real power. Um, because it always comes down to like, man, they can't put their finger on why, but they just don't like them. You know, oh, we can't can't quite put my she doesn't quite give me the impression that she's a leader, blah, 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 blah. And like I said, we see this in other parties as well. Um, but the Republican Party, I don't I think if Republican voters were able to think strategically and see past their own prejudices, which we know they can't which we know they can't, they would nominate Nikki Haley. I think that the Koch brothers aren't wrong that strategically right. she would be a choice that would be appealing to a lot of moderate, self-styled moderate, and possibly even like center-left voters. Um, people who are e- like easily fooled by presentation. Right. And the Koch brothers did this before. They did it in 2015. They endorsed a bunch of other people other than Trump, and it didn't do any good. So in that vein, too, not entirely clear what this does for her. Yeah, not sure. Maybe it gives her a little bit of money. Uh, I don't know. But there's seven weeks left before the Iowa Republican caucus. 
and we'll see what she can do with it. I mean, look, also, if you look back to 2015, 2016, this, at this point in the yeah. like election cycle, if you went back and you were reading like the takes from people talking about who was going to win what and where, none of them actually bore out. Nobody knew what was going totally. to happen. And there's always so much that can happen. There's always so many wild cards that can get thrown in. We just don't know what's going to happen. And anybody that's pretending that they do know what's going to happen doesn't know what they're talking about. That's a really good red good flag. Good point. Good red yeah. flag. Um, okay. Oh, we got a toast. We got a toast. toast. Alyssa, take it away. Rosalind Carter. She has gone on to the pearly gates of heaven. She and her husband, Jimmy Carter, married for 77 years. All the first ladies showed up for this yesterday, including Melania, the first time I think we've seen her in 150 years. Yeah. The best, if you zoom in on the pictures, she was seated next to Michelle Obama. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that? that Michelle Obama... Looked serious. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I don't think it Michelle was, Obama likes her. I'm going to go with no. Um, but in general, uh, it was a lovely, wonderful funeral. Learned so many things through the eulogies about uh, First Lady Carter. One, she did Tai Chi with a sword, Erin. I thought you would especially enjoy that fact. That was some of the exercise that, that from, she did. I learned that from the eulogy that her grandson yes. did. She had a sword and did Tai Chi. That's so cool. She did. He said most of her recipes had mayo in them, that mm -hmm. she did Tai Chi with a sword. She climbed Mount Fuji and Kilimanjaro. She learned how to ski at 60 and did so for about 20 years. She, most importantly, uh, as a post-presidency, was a partner with President Carter and did so much to alleviate disease around the world and address the housing crisis, specifically through their work with Habitat for Humanity. And one thing that I did not know was the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers existed. I did not know what this was. It serves caregivers because she knew you can't care on your own and built. it was built on her belief that, quote, there are only four kinds of people in this world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. And that got me. I was like, girl, like she, she and Jimmy Carter really got to the root of a lot of problems and identified them in ways that I think other politicians – uh, never did. She says that uh, when asked how she would like to be remembered, she said, I would like for people to think I took advantage of the opportunities I had. Girl, yes, you did. Rest in peace and power, Rosalind I Carter. I was, first of all, like I always knew she was a cool lady. I always knew she was a groovy lady, knew about mm -hmm. the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and since her death, I've learned so many amazing things about her. She was such a, she was like a Renaissance woman. Totally. She was ahead of her time. She was, she was just fantastic. And it was also, man, I did not think I would cry watching clips from a funeral of a Same. first lady who was not even like, that was like prior to when I was born. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I didn't really know very much about the Carters growing up, except they were nice people and and, and American voters were pretty unfair <laughs> to them. Yeah. Um, but the more I learn about her, she was so cool. She was such a cool person. Great lady. And 
The fact that we were, she was able to drag Melania out of her lair <laughs> in, in order to attend this funeral is really something. They were all there. And Jimmy Carter came out of yeah, hospice was and was there. And also, I wanted to shout out the fact that the two of them worked to eradicate guinea worm. Yes. Which is almost, I, I think Jimmy Carter had a quote that he hoped that he would outlive the last guinea worm. And mm-hmm. he's like close. He's close. It's almost been eradicated. And that's partly because of the partnership that he had with his wife. Honestly, like I was read uh, there there was a um a part of the funeral where um their daughter read mm-hmm. a letter that Jimmy had written to her when he was in the Navy and it was just so sweet and beautiful. And I texted the group that uh the hysteria group that I don't think Nicholas Sparks has ever written anything this beautiful. No. It is they loved each other. Like they, they loved, loved each other. Each other. They, they loved did. each other. One thing for you and I, Aaron, is that one thing that uh, her grandson talked about was at the end of her life, she needed a cane. And she refused to call it a cane. She called it her trekking stick. And <laughs> I mean, that's what we're, when we have canes, Aaron, we're calling them our trekking sticks. That was, uh, I just, till the end, you know, she Hell was yeah. just on it. Hell yeah. Toast to Rosalind Carter. What a great lady. And what a great life. Great life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a really fun interview. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We've had a lot of incredible guests on this show before, but I can count on one hand the number of times I've actually felt starstruck. This is one of those times. Move over, Hillary Clinton. Our guests today have been musical collaborators since 1994. Their music got me through college and my 20s and my 30s. Now Slater Kinney is getting ready to release their next album, Little Rope, on January 19th. Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker, welcome to Hysteria. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. So Slater Kinney was one of the first bands that I listened to that showed female noncompliance and feminism and feminist topics in a way that felt fresh and not filtered through a patriarchy-approved lens. And you've always been very upfront and open about your politics and your views. Do you see conversations that are happening now in public and think, why are we still talking about this? Didn't we already settle this 25 years ago? And and what are those conversations? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, uh, there are a lot of conversations that are ongoing in this country about, um, you know, women's role in society, women's bodies and our bodily autonomy. Um, and, you know, the idea of getting paid equally for equal work. I mean, those conversations are still ongoing and it is really frustrating, um, you know, when you're young and you think like, I'm going to write it, you know, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and I'm going to help things change, you know, and, and you realize that the process of change is so much slower and, um, less linear than you thought when you were younger. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth fighting for what we think is important. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that we should, give up struggling for, you know, um, 
to for women to have equal position in society. Um, it's just that, you know, that struggle is ongoing. It's been going on for a long time, and I think it will continue for a long time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many of us in like the post Roe v. Wade generation expected that to be like rolled back. You know, there's, there's just these, these cycles of backlash that I think we have amnesia about. You know, that it, with every moment, era, decade of progress in our country, there is a concurrent reaction and people who feel threatened by social progress and an, an increase in rights by people who formerly may not have had the same rights. And, you know, the the backlash is very strong and has both a literal but also a figurative violence to it. You know, it just, it's so, it, it, it encroaches on, on the psyche. And, you know, you see it connected, whether it's misogyny, trans misogyny, like it's just all these like interconnected things where people just are so threatened by whether it's, you know, women of color, poor women, you know, like trans women, like they just, the ways that society doesn't conform to the promise for certain people anymore is really scary. And they are coming at, at these rights as sort of the last gasp. And it's, it is wild. You know, I think we're sold this idea to Corn's point that progress is inevitable, you know, that it just kind of marches onward. And clearly it doesn't. And um, so, yeah, it's hard to, to revisit those conversations. I think the good thing about getting to revisit conversations or realizing it's an ongoing conversation is we can have a more sophisticated conversation. We can make up for the ways that the, the first conversation was too reductive or lacked inclusion, you know, or lacked intersectionality. So like, good, we get to, we get to still talk about abortion, but now let's talk about it in a way where the first couple of times we were acknowledging disparities between the rates of, you know, healthcare, the, you know, like just, we, we get to acknowledge the complexity of it. So hopefully we do make real progress. That's, that's mm-hmm. the kind of hope I have to take from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, how are you feeling about the current state of American politics? And are you worried about 2024? Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, of course. It's, I think it's, it's just a very nerve-wracking time um, in American politics and global politics as well. Um, you know, I think... Um, I think it's 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 really difficult to feel hope about things in a system that I feel like is is so you know it's got so many flaws in it um, the American political system. However, I still think that you know the most important thing we have is our democracy, is like the idea that everyone should be able to make a choice and make a and vote on our decisions as a country, you know, I mean, I, I think our system is very flawed. You know, I don't think that everyone has a totally equal, um, 
shot at voting, unfortunately. I think that's that's become one thing that we're fighting over again. But I still think that, you know, the idea that we're making as a country decisions and that we're working towards, you know, a really true democracy is, that's extremely important, even though despite, um, you know, what feels like the lack of real of real choices sometimes in, in terms of political parties. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can almost echo Corin's hope, but I feel very nervous about the 2024 election. You know, I, I think I, you know, Biden sort of ran on a, the idea that he'd be a one-term president and now we're left with no other viable candidates. No one in the Democratic Party is stepping up. It feels like everyone's just been given this like rule book. Like let's let's put all these ambitions on pause and give Biden his second term, which is very precarious. Uh you know, there's polling that shows, and again, I don't necessarily trust polling. It's it's been off for many, many years, but you know, um, where but polling that indicates that Trump would beat Biden in a general election in a lot of like key states. You have Trump like trouncing his Republican competitors. Like that to me, and the language that that Trump uses, I don't know if we are ready for really the kind of autocracy that he <laughs> is suggesting, that he is intimating through his language of like casting his political enemies as vermin. Like these are, the, this is the kind of rhetorical strategy he uses and this is the kind of rhetorical strategy that will continue to foment violence, like actual violence and insurrection and be like hasten the demise of, of a democracy that's already very fragile. You know, on both sides, there's so much distrust in our systems. Um, I think the Democrats inherently have more of a sense of let's rebuild and the more extreme Republicans, um, you know, like the, the Christian right wing folks, like they are, they're more ready to destroy, you know, not rebuild. Like there's uh, that. So anyway, that to me leaves less hope. You know, I just don't know where, if 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 our trust in institutions is so eroded and and the younger people get the more they mistrust institutions like i just don't know where we rebuild from the inside you know but it's not like someone's come in with some other great plan <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and anarchy is anarchy like we there's no, there's nothing on the other side of it if we don't have like a, a better idea you know so, democracy is is the best idea <laughs> so far but can we build it in the image of and maintain it in the image of of the people it's there to protect uh so who knows 
who knows? It is it's a wild ride. And I I don't I don't take lightly like how like enervating and damaging it is to exist in inside of this like total whirlwind. And that's just that's just America. You know, that's just like that's just our country. Like it it it's it's hard not to sort of just no wonder people just spend a lot of time on TikTok. <laughs> Although politics <laughs> is kind of hard to escape on TikTok too. I mean, if you have my That's algorithm, true. it's a lot of people that are like, did you read the whole article that you're telling me about or no? <laughs> um, okay. So the star of your newest music video, Say It Like You Mean It, is Jay Smith Cameron. We are huge fans of hers over here. She's been on our pod a couple times. What led to you casting her in this music video? And Carrie, what was it like working with her as the director of the video? Well, I'm a big fan of Succession and love what Jay has brought to the character of Jerry. She's just become this iconic character. And I love watching Jay kind of have this like later in career sort of renaissance, like so deserving. She's, you know, been an actress in both theater, film, and television for decades, and she's stellar. And uh, so we reached out to her, not through official channels. I would not call the DM an official channel, but you got to take your shot sometimes. And uh, she said yes, and yeah, she was just so game. You know, I think mo- people in the music industry take the idea, the conceit, the concept of music videos for granted. It is just this vernacular that we all really understand. There's something sort of absurd about it. Why is someone singing? Well, they're singing because it's a music video. <laughs> but mm-hmm. for an actress who's coming from, you know, disciplines where she needs more information you know what what are what are the motivations what is this backstory and i really felt lucky to work with someone who was willing to see this as basically a short film and she needed to find a way into the song into the performance uh to justify essentially and understand what the stakes were and what every moment she was bringing to the song meant. So that was part of the process, was a lot of back and forth, first via text and and, uh, telephone. And then, you know, she was so kind to to want to come to Portland. You know, she lives in New York, but she was eager to come out here. And yeah, she was a real joy to work with. Just such a a consummate actor. Um, She was vulnerable and and honest with the things that were making her a little nervous about, you know, a music video. She just kept saying, well, when are are you guys in the music video? And I said, (laughs) well, we're not in the video. (laughs) This is you. (laughs) This is you in the video. Uh, But yeah, you know, she's she's lovely. And um, yeah, we're, you know, we're just really uh, grateful that she she took that risk with us and, and gave a really honest and beautiful performance for a song that means a lot to us on this record. So it was really a a perfect confluence of things. Mm -hmm. And it is a really beautiful video and her performance is stunning. And uh, 
unjerry like you know she's she's a different character it's it's she's so talented and it the the end result is really great um you've said that the forthcoming album little rope grapples with grief and personal tragedy um grief to me seems like the emotion that is least conducive to creativity so how do you arm wrestle the heaviness of grief into something creative and cathartic i think that you know sometimes just committing to the work of being creative and pushing yourself into writing material can get you through a lot of different experiences. You know, if you just give your, make yourself work every day and give yourself the time to say like, we have to finish these set of songs, you know, that structure and that discipline um, is really like what can guide you through things no matter what you might be experiencing that that idea of a work ethic when you're writing songs um i think can be like a guiding light um through what might be a really difficult experience if that makes sense yeah i think well for i mean i i think the album does grapple with grief and loss but it was much of it was written before I uh, lost my mom and stepdad. And so, you know, the, the idea of grappling, it's almost not sort of wrestling with, you know, literal grief, but in, in ways like how does, a, how does a partnership, how does the rest of your life conform to the, to the aftermath, you know, how do how does the relationship to work and friendship and love and perspective change? And so a lot of the album was kind of pulled into this very murky, confounding space. And the songs became the thing with clarity while the rest of my life felt very just incoherent and inchoate and confusing. You know, the the songs had a shape that I felt like I didn't have in that moment. You know, so much about grief feels like a deconstruction of, of self and structures and family and personhood it's just such a existential dread you know but the but music has a a perennial living breathing quality to it so i think we we transferred some of that some of that mystery some of that horror into a part of our lives that we knew could pull us out of that uh we didn't feel compelled or like we had to finish the album, but it just became the context through which I was able to process things. And, you know, I obviously needed Corin to to step up and she does sing more and, you know, the, it, it shaped that process. But the songs themselves, you know, there there are moments of disparity and, and darkness, but there's a lot of, you know, things that are more celebratory and joyful. It's not, it's not just a dark, (laughs) uh, 
depressing album at all. You know, it 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 sort of is is taking all those dualities, um, kind of sitting in the in between a lot. Riot Girl, which uh, you know the the movement from Olympia, the West Coast, from back in the '90s, was a very heavily political movement. Uh, what do you see the role of music in politics being going into this like no, this next existential election? And if you guys are touring to support Little Rope, do you plan on talking about politics while you're touring? I think that you know. I think that it's important to consider the platform that you have as a as a performer, as a public person, and um, I do think that it's important to speak out about things. Um, that's just kind of who I am as a person, and what I think this band has always been, you know, a part of is it's like commenting on society and therefore commenting on the, on the politics of our society. You know, it's, it's part of our vernacular, I think as a band and I think as people, you know? Um, and so, you know, I think that we do think about it and we also realize that we have a limited role to play, you know, that we don't um, necessarily think like we're going to have a huge effect on, <laughs> world politics, you know what I mean? I think that it's important to think about, well, what can we do that's important as a band? And I think one thing that we have done is we've registered people to vote at our shows through an organization called Headcount. Um, You know, I think that's a really positive way to impact people's role in democracy is encouraging people, it is important to vote. Here's a way to sign up if you don't, if you haven't before. Um, you know, so that we are taking a look at our own, you know, status as as maybe public people and and doing something that can make a positive impact. Yeah, and I think one thing that's great about shows is that they're in specific towns and cities and, and locations, and those are the places where I think people can make a difference. It's it the farther you zoom out the more unlikely it feels to to be able to make a change with your vote or your words. But the closer you zoom in to your city and county and state elections, the more you do see things affecting the pop you know, the population. Whether it's, you know, a state like Ohio deciding like, no, we will not write an abortion ban into the constitution, like those kind of things like that. So I think when you're traveling city to city, uh, I mean, one of the joys I think of just being on tour is meeting people where they are, you know, both literally, but also sort of psychologically, emotionally, that's the beauty of live music. So bringing people together at a time where things can feel very splintered, things can, can feel very alienating you know where where outrage is is so encouraged uh, online, but in person there is just I think a tendency more towards compassion and understanding and nuance. And our our role is both to you know foster that connection, 
but also to make good music so that what we're contributing to the world is a way for people to feel seen, to feel heard, to provide a, a soundtrack to a moment that could be private or public or political. Like, I, I think we always return to that as our facet of resistance is to keep making good records because that that is what is the first line of connection we have with other people for sure so we think of that first and then because of who we are of course we want to you know have these have it be augmented by maybe specific political organizations but our, our you know our job is to write music that can soundtrack a a resistance, even if that resistance is small and someone deciding to get out of bed instead of not getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. Well, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker, thank you so much for joining me today and for the conversation. And uh, listeners, Little Rope, January 19th, get it wherever you get music. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) Five stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type. That's my favorite sport. The new, the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. I love these leggings. They are, because you know, like not everybody's the same, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I, size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring. And exactly. I, don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. 
When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that would never try to pass off a polyester jacket as wool. Alyssa, have you ever seen that happen? <laughs> They're doing it. The clothing Probably. stores are doing it now. They're saying jackets are wool. And then if you look at the fabric content, it's polyester. That's a lie. It's a lie. That's fraud. That's, That's fraud. Fra- I don't like fraud. I don't, don't fraud either. Me on my clothes. I don't I, want a rash. <laughs> I only like fraud when it's done by scammers to rich people. Then it's funny. Right. But not Anna when Delvany it's done to me. makes a second appearance today. <laughs> All right. I'm really excited about our panel today. This is like an old school hysteria reunion. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to bring them in so we can draw this panel out for as long as possible because I love these two ladies. Our first panelist is a comedian and host of the podcast Couples Therapy, Naomi Ekparagan. Welcome back to Hysteria. Hey, girl. Hey. So glad you're here. How are you doing? Doing great. So excited to see your shining faces. This is what keeps me young. This is what gives me hope in a hopeless place. It's beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. Our next panelist is also a comedian with a podcast. She hosts the podcast, I Love My Kid, but it's Megan Gailey. You've made a grave error having Naomi and I on together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the squirreliness has already ensued. <laughs> yeah. Holiness yeah. has already well, Megan ensued. And I, so Megan and I were sending voice notes until approximately midnight last yeah, night. Yeah. And so then we're already kind of in. And then <laughs> like, and, and then I went in, and then I texted her something at 830. I said, you don't even get a 12 hour break. I'm back. 
to give you a follow-up on the last voice memo. I do want to say before we even get into this topic, I'm not going to say what it is, but when I was asked about it, I immediately thought it was about fast food. And that is, (laughs) that lets you know where my brain is at as we go into this. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Well, today we're going to talk about overconsumption. It's uh, we just had, but I could see how that could be possible. I thought it was food. Oh, I thought it was food too. I thought it was food, and I said, and especially because Fiona was like, "We want you to come back on an episode," and then it was like the topic is overconsumption, and I said, "This is pointed. This is rude. You've taken it. You've taken a stand with me, Fiona." I said to Fiona, "You've come to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) The topic is gluttony, and we are bringing in our gluttony experts." Amazing. Uh, no, we're talking about overconsumption in terms, which I think I think that fast food and overconsuming food is like a part of the larger picture. Yeah, uh, but it's not the whole thing. Uh, we're going to talk about overconsumption as it relates to holiday shopping, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and all that stuff. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Naomi, um, have you noticed that everything is getting shittier and more expensive? Absolutely. I mean, it started with eggs, right? We've been talking about eggs for the last (laughs) year or two, and it's all just gone downhill to the point where I don't even really want to buy that much stuff. Like nothing I look at ever seems worth the price. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. then I'm just like, oh, forget it. I've got the stuff I already have. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, how about you? Have you noticed that things are getting shittier and pricier? Yes. I mean, it's just like, for me, I do a lot of, because of I live sort of in the woods, so I tend to do a lot of online shopping. And I have to be honest, I'm a total piece of shit when it comes to returning something. I'll be like, I don't know, maybe Same. it's good enough. I have returned more stuff. Like, I'm wearing a pair of pants right now that I've had for four or five years. And they're like a little ragged. And so I reordered them. They had them back in stock. I reordered them. I was so excited. They were more expensive and they're practically see-through now. And so, no, they're going back. That is a no. I do not pay for poor quality, especially when it's not made in America. How about you, Megan? Have you noticed anything similar? I honestly can mark the, like, demise of society when Olive Garden took a sharp (laughs) downward turn. Like, I remember (laughs) eating at Olive Garden as a child and being like, this is delicious. And now it's like, oh, this is microwave chef Boyardee. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, I've noticed it in restaurants that that I've gone to, like, my whole life. And I do think for me, there's that instinct to go, oh, I'm getting like older and more crotchety and like more demanding. But that that will start to make you go crazy because the truth is like I am I feel at peace to hear all of you confirm that is not just me turning into get off my olive garden. (laughs) (laughs) There was a there was a dairy queen in my town when I was growing up that was owned by the people that owned it were like notoriously stingy, mm-hmm. like would, would like had the napkins behind the counter, you know, and like oh. would only give you like two napkins, that sort of thing, like very, very stingy. And I feel like that ethos from like Dairy Queen circa the 1980s and 90s um, has like permeated everything, yep. like everywhere I go, I feel like things that you used to just be able to expect as part of the experience of being like a customer somewhere or of buying an uh, an item, 
you now have to pay extra for that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed it really dramatically in clothing. Like clothing is so low quality now and it is so expensive. And it's like, if you look at the way that it's constructed, like the seams are not sewn I was going to say nothing fits. And that's not just because I've gained weight. <laughs> nothing fits because it's all like boxy. You know what I mean? Like nothing is made with like shape. It doesn't hold its form. It can't stand up to being washed. Like everything is just like a loose cotton blend, no matter what you're buying. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. Naomi, every, almost every article of clothing that you buy now is like gentle wash, dry by hand. Why? <laughs> Why can't you stand up to permanent press anymore? Why? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Can I give you some warm water? Can you take warm water? I'll even put you on gentle cycle. But <laughs> I'm going to need you to come out the way you were when I put you in. Yeah, you know you, what I'm saying? You should not have to dry clean cotton. Like that is sort of right. the promise of cotton. Right. And like I think that – I think the – gosh, I, there's probably a lot of people to blame. I think we are – we also have to take some of the blame because of fast fashion and the rise of it. Mm-hmm. That they're just like, oh, throw them whatever. They'll wear a bag of Cheetos out one night to the club and then they'll throw it into the ocean and a starfish will choke on it. You know, like that is that is what is happening and we are kind of liable in that. But then why is why is well-made clothing – and again, it's not even that great. Why is it like $500 for a sweater, right? If you want something that's any yeah. good – the price is through the roof because it's mm-hmm. just funny. There are brands where, you know, growing up as a Maxinista, you know how sometimes you can get like a nice brand for cheap? Yeah, they ain't course. even doing that no more. Mm-mm. Like it's like no. off, you know, like the Neiman outlet said, no, Mm-mm. you don't get anything. I can't go like, into that. No. I can't go into that. It's They're like, like too packed and I feel like the deals are not there that I'm like, I would rather just like avoid going into this COVID den. Right. No, but it like reminds me of growing up like the, I mean- I'm older than everybody, but like the thing to have was like the Benetton rugby. Mm. Uh huh. <laughs> and guys, that went on layaway for us. You know, it went on layaway right around beginning of school, and you got to look forward to it. Maybe you get it for Christmas. That rugby went into permanent press. I wore it every week. I had it well after college. That thing lived forever. And the only reason I don't have it anymore is because it got stolen when I was on the Kerry campaign. But like other than wow. that, that I John Kerry. Oh my God. It was Howard Dean, Megan. It was Howard, Howard Dean. Dean. Wow. Yeah. Howard Dean would. He said we're he going would. to he that rugby. <laughs> It was green. It was so good. Yeah, it is like you. I saw a friend and they were in like a vintage Lacoste, one of those um, cardigans. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love that. You know, and they were like, this is from probably the 60s or 70s. And I bought it for two dollars at a vintage store. But it's like it had no pilling. It had no holes. It had like really held up because it was made with better quality. And if you bought a Lacoste cardigan this week, it would not hold up as good as the one that's 50 years old. Nope. Mm-hmm. Same with, I have Woolrich sweaters like that. They're from the 70s and they're cardigans and they don't make them anymore and they look perfect. <laughs> we should all be knitting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we should all live on the prairie. I mean, I have a, there used to be this this vintage store uh, when I lived in like South Slope in Brooklyn, which is kind of by like Greenwood Cemetery for those people who know New York. <laughs> um, and there was this incredible, huge vintage store that was kind of well curated, but not like really, really marked up. 
And I got a wool coat from the 1940s Ugh. from that store. And it still looks good. It like, it, mm-hmm. I mean, I wow. barely wear it because I live in California now and it has like a fur collar. Like where am I? I look like a gangster's wife if I mm. wear it. But it's, it's, you I'm not You have to wear get, it. I want to see you in this. Mm-hmm. You as gangster's wife. I'll wear it like as a, ba- as a beach cover up. Um, but <laughs> they, uh, but it's, it's so high quality. And I was also, you know, speaking of vintage stores, um, furniture is like mm. mostly yep. bad now too. Like mm-hmm. even allegedly expensive furniture. Naomi, yeah. you look exasperated. I'm livid because what I tell you, I bought a couch in 2019. And yes, I then spent three years sitting on that couch, right? <laughs> Things changed. We didn't know how much couch time we would put in. We didn't know up top. Sunken, sunken cushions, like I want to say two years in. Uh. And this was like the first time I bought something like, expensive Mm -hmm. like where I was really like I'm grown let's do this let's invest in something whereas the couch I still have in New York which might have been Jennifer Convertibles might have been you know what I mean like Ethan Allen someone's name someone's Mm -hmm. name in the low to mid range Ashley furniture Ashley (laughs) I can still sleep on that couch do you know what I mean like it can hold Mm -hmm. up to my full body whereas this couch where I was like I spent like $2,000 on a couch, y'all. Mm-hmm. I really did. And I thought I was somebody. I said, I got TV money. Mm-hmm. Let's get a couch. And I, it like, I have to like put stuff under it to like keep the cushions afloat. I've never been angrier. Where are we getting furniture that's not trash? Alyssa, are you making it? Are you making your furniture? <laughs> you know what, Naomi? It's going to have woodwork. to be my next thing. I'm going to have to start whittling and stuffing. Yes. That's going to be my next, my next move. If anyone can do it, it's you, and I will be Thank buying. You. I will be buying your brand. Three Dancing I, Bears furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it's like, you know, there's certain certain vintage stuff you can find that's like pretty high quality. And then there's like a couple brands that everybody who has it, it's like, well, it was really expensive, but it's worth. I'm sitting on a an anthropology couch right now that I got like seven years ago. Yeah. Looks br- brand new. Feels brand new cost me the most I've ever paid for any piece of furniture ever. But per use, that the pretty good value per use. And it's not right. like wearing out. I feel like, the, you know, we're kind of dancing around the fact that things are getting more expensive and we're not paying for quality. What we're doing is just paying corporate profits and shareholder value. Exactly. And- exactly. If the money was going into workers getting a better wage, finally, right? I would say, like, okay, at least somebody is getting what they deserve in this process. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're not. But, like, in the end, it's just for, like, the CEOs to juice a stock price. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's the more companies are controlled by, like, private equity yeah. or, you know, big stock profit margin driven yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. The, we're, we're not going to see any higher quality. And like, I think we're also seeing that, you know, when it comes to Amazon, have you guys noticed that Amazon's gotten like very unusable, like unusably shitty? They also like, I want something that was like a, a brand that I use, um, like a, a face serum. And I ordered it off of Amazon because it was gonna take it was like out of stock at Sephora. Like I did try and like do the right thing. And then it came and it was like 
bootleg. Like it, the color yeah. was different. I'm like, you, <laughs> Bezos, this is not. That's happened to me. This is not yeah. drunk elephant. This is like drunk. <laughs> this is drunk giraffe. And I'm not putting this on my face. <laughs> do you think, do you guys think though that things have gotten so shitty because we don't go into the store and buy so much anymore that we just buy things off the internet and then mm-hmm. they come and they're like, not as great, but it's more convenient. And so like, right. like my first sofa, I went in and tested right out, all right. the sofas. Right. And I sat on that sofa and I was like, you know, this tufted one seems like it's going to stand up to my tush the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sofa, it lives to this day. But like the ones- I think so. Like anything I, that we just bought off the internet is like, but I don't okay. know if we're necessarily trading in convenience as much as because I think about this sometimes when I order food delivery. You mm-hmm. know how if you're at a restaurant and something wasn't right, you would be like, hi, this isn't working for me. And you could trade it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Once somebody delivers something to you, you're on your own. Yep. And yep. I think that sometimes it's like, let's give let's send this person this thing that's kind of half broken. Because like you said up top, Alyssa, it's like, how many people are really going to return it? Mm-hmm. And kind of the mm-hmm. bigger the item, the less likely you are to do that. You know what I mean? So I think sometimes it's like, you can the company can kind of get away with something being a little off when it's being shipped versus if I was in the store able to talk to a person able to pull a Karen moment mm-hmm. then they'll be like fine fine let me give you something good to get you out of here so I don't hear from you again <laughs> right well and like on a on a larger scale it's like we are all able to purchase things to come to our house to buy sweet green and there no be lettuce in it you know like we are able to but there's there's that anecdote so I think it's about a new winter coat where like a man with less means has to buy a new winter coat every year. And that ends because it is low quality and that ends yeah. up keeping him in his station in life. Whereas someone with more money can buy one new coat and it lasts for five years and they're not having to spend the money. And it's sort of like, is the system actually like designed this way to have people buy shit so they are not able to advance their lives. But also they want you to buy it over and over, right? That's where the profit comes in. If you've got to get something, the same item every year, right? That's what they want, repeat customers. That's why it's no longer, you know, they want you coming back every six months. And the only way to do that is to make the thing crappily enough that you have to. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, I don't know if this is just me reading vibes or whatever, but it feels like a lot of people on social media, in my group of friends, whatever, are sort of like realizing at the same time, like, wait a minute, I don't need most of this stuff. It's overpriced and low quality. So like everyone is sort of like, wait a minute. And it's really bad for the environment for me Mm -hmm. to just buy all this shit that I don't need, have it shipped to my house and then just kind of like give it to Goodwill. And most of that stuff ends up going in a landfill anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, so I feel like a lot of people are sort of realizing that at the same time. And yet this year, Black Friday and Cyber Monday saw increases in spending. And granted, the Black Friday spending, I don't know. It's debatable whether that actually like outpaced inflation or not. Mm. But what do you make of the fact that people are still, despite the fact that like we're all we can all see the writing on the wall. We're all getting hosed and people are still like, yes, please, sir. May I have another? Like, why are people Society's still collapsing. I hate to ruin the vibe at 10 a.m., <laughs> but the world is a hopeless place. And for a lot of us, the only control we have is the ability to say, I want that doggy in the window and have it come to you. 
and have it be yours. Like it's so, because I think that there can be, especially if you are like a shopping addict and stuff, like, and even if you're not, there's a rush to Mm -hmm. getting what you want, especially at a time where there's so much you cannot have. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's funny because like with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I don't like buy stuff. What I do is I buy the things that I have had my eye on all year yeah. that are finally at a price that I can accept. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was like three things where I was like, oh, I've been meaning to get this. I've been meaning to get this. I said, what are the deals? Cross reference across multiple stores and sites to get the best. And then I got that thing, you know, and it was like, I guess I felt a little like, yes, I got it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. So you went in with a plan versus just being like window shopping and be like, I guess I'll take that. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't want to just like buy to buy. I really wait until I need something, but it's a fine line, right? You want to wait until you need it, but not so desperate you'll get anything, you know? Because mm-hmm. when you're like, right. I need it, and then you just kind of take whatever's there and because you're anxious and desperate. So you really have to come from a place of power. You really mm-hmm. do when you're shopping. I'm I'm honestly <laughs> shocked Black Friday's still a thing. Like it feels like with Amazon that Black Friday is every single Friday. Like it's like we are we're <laughs> consuming constantly. Like I I I've never I've never been to the mall on a Black Friday. Like I've never done the like waiting. I I bought nothing this year and I I, I I and some of that is like we've been on a work stoppage for six months, and the silver lining <laughs> of that is like, huh, maybe I spent too much money on certain things. <laughs> so like this is not the year for me to spend, but it's like I'm married to a shopper, and even yeah. his consumption is like pretty down. Well, mm-hmm. do you know if they're still having like have you seen any stories about like the stampedes, you know, like death outside of Walmart? Because that mm-hmm. was a real big thing for quite a few that years where it was like dangerous to Yeah, them. and there used to be like hot toys or like really like yeah. you know, tickle me Elmo. There would be stuff that it was like you have to have this. Maybe there are and my son's just not old enough, but <laughs> Oh no, I thought you said my son is not getting those things. No, he's not. He's like, no, we're not doing that. He's got some Elmo socks and I'll tickle them, but that's the extent. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it almost seemed like those trends also were like driven by adults and not children. Like because <laughs> I remember when Tickle Me Elmo was a thing, I don't I mean, I think I was like in middle school or high school and I don't remember seeing like a bunch of little kids like playing with Tickle Me Elmo's after the after the holiday. It just seemed like a thing that everyone decided they were going to go get and it didn't really matter what the kids wanted or not. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I wonder also if streaming, right, because I know a big part of my upbringing was commercials, right? Like seeing Mm -hmm. commercials, watching Nickelodeon, seeing a commercial being like, I need some gack (laughs) and just being like, this is a thing that matters to me. Whereas now with so much stuff streaming, even if you stream with commercials, because um, I have a couple of them with the commercials, the ads aren't geared towards kids. They're geared towards adults. And it's like, buy a Swiffer mm-hmm. and you'll see the same ad four times in one TV show. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it does. I wonder if that um, isn't triggering the same, I need this specific item yeah. the way well, it used to. And for me, I don't know about you guys, but I... I, like, went through some real mental stuff during COVID, like, mm-hmm. when you couldn't get things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so 
I didn't, I couldn't get the things I needed or wanted. And then on top of it, I really didn't have any jobs. So I didn't have any money. And Mm -hmm. then when we were coming out of COVID, I was like, I must stockpile for the apocalypse. Like I need to make sure I have X, Y, and Z. And then I was like, oh girl, none of these pants look good on you. Why did you buy three pairs? (laughs) Um, And I have purged everything now and I'm trying to start fresh because Uh COVID really messed me. Like everything from like – aluminum foil and toilet yeah. paper to like my yeah. favorite coffee was I mean it was just I didn't I over consumed and then but a lot then of it I also feel the- like what but also do you feel like when I like one of the stores I go to is Target um I don't know if it's growing up in New York City like I love a like a big old box store with wide aisles and it just feels like I'm like wow we're in it now and I've just noticed how my Target bill has gone through the roof and I would say I go once a month once every two months and I'm not going like I'm literally buying again and you said like the toilet paper the cleaning supplies the stuff like that and it'll like run like it went from like maybe $180 to like $260 yeah for the same amount of stuff like when I look at the number of items I'm taking home at that price and I'm just like how is this sustainable for anyone yeah. You know, like, and I'm just a family of two and two animals. If you got <laughs> kids up in here who are going through things even quicker, I don't know how is how you can function. Mm-hmm. The cost of uh, diapers, wipes, formula um, are so expensive that people have priced it out and it's worth it for people to get Costco memberships only to buy those things. Mm-hmm. Like that's how expe- like you save money if you buy the like $120 a year Costco membership and use at you save more than that amount of money if you that's where you just get your baby hmm. supplies. Um I was thinking and and I was just thinking about Costco and like how I'm kind of jealous of people who can go to Costco because like Same. we live in a you know it's not like a tiny house but it's a small house and we don't really have like a ton of storage space and Same. we don't have like a massive refrigerator and a massive freezer. And, you know, living in Los Angeles where there's like a very obvious housing crisis and part of the reason we have a housing crisis is because there's so many single family homes. There's so many lots that are only zoned for single family and the single family homes are big and so everything is sprawling. There's a part of me that's like we have these giant houses to hold like all of the stuff that we don't need, right? And then we like – we trick ourselves into thinking there's no way to conserve space and that we, you know, we need like a 150 pack of fish sticks in order to save <laughs> money. And I, I just like, I think like living in a smaller space has made me really cognizant of like what I'm bringing into the space and how mm-hmm. like, I actually don't, it's not even that I, that I can't like physically afford something. It's like, I don't have room for it. Right. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't have anywhere to put it. And I think mm-hmm. having a kid really brings that to the forefront like we are coming up on Christmas and we got four grandparents who were chomping at the bit to buy Juniper giant fucking toys and like (laughs) my husband and I are just sitting here like rubbing our temples like how do we talk grandma and grandpa down from them buying like a six foot tall teddy bear for Juniper that we have no place for you know like we we've gotten to a point where we have to consider like space as a form of scarcity and not necessarily just money. And so like you start to feel kind of like you're drowning in stuff if you don't have the space for the stuff that you need. Megan, I wonder if like with with uh your son, you feel like his stuff is like 
making you aware of how little or how much space you have. Um, her husband yeah. is making her aware. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I am outnumbered. I also think you like fill the space you have. So if my house mm-hmm. was twice as big, we would have twice as much stuff, and I would have a nervous breakdown. I do not like uh, a bunch of stuff, and I married someone who loves stuff. The tough thing with a kid is that like they do need new things. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. they're not, he's gaining weight because he is supposed to. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> kind of inconvenient. And so, you know, like I have a pretty good, like, you know, train of people that are like, oh, my kid is a year older than Conrad. And so I'll bring over, like, we just went to the Midwest and he didn't have a winter coat, but luckily someone had given us a winter coat in case we ever went there because there's no point for a child in Los Angeles to have a, a, to buy a, like a winter coat for a toddler that he's going to wear one time. The amount of stuff he needs, even when I like got all the lovely gifts and stuff off my registry and like took a picture of it. And I think like sent it to some friends of just like, this is an insane amount of boxes and things. And I had to hire two different organizers to come and unpack all the stuff because I was like too pregnant to do it. And all my friends were kids were like, this is the least amount of stuff you'll ever have because the stuff keeps getting bigger. They Then they start being able to ask for it. Like the baby mm-hmm. stuff is at least like small and like a lot of it you don't need. But once they are kind of demanding or asking things or you're trying to placate them. Like when it comes to grandparents, I'm like, I would rather you buy a plane ticket to come see him. I would rather Mm -hmm. you buy, I told my brother last year, I go, he doesn't need anything. I would like a dinner out. Like that is something that I would, and like, he's a baby. He doesn't know that I stole a present from him, but it's like, I, I would rather at this point have like experiences than continue to fill my house. Yes, We just got rid of the playpen. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, take it away while he's napping because I don't want him to see it leave the home. And mm-hmm. I and I'm thrilled. I'm so happy it's gone. You got room now. You got room to walk around now. Well, we have the Christmas tree yeah. there, but when the Christmas tree comes down, <laughs> like, you know, it's like that's why we had to get rid of the playpen because it was like, well, now I gotta decorate with all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like Kind of a relief. I, I've watched myself evolve. Like during pandemic, I think I went through a phase of being like, hmm, I think we need a rice cooker. You know, uh-huh. like, hmm, I think yeah. we need a specialty uh, utensils for things. That, oh, I bought myself a – do you know? You guys know what rosettes are? No. No <laughs> rosettes? What's that? They're like, um, they're like a Scandinavian cookie that you make with like a – It's Press. like a – Yeah, exactly. I bought a rosette press in a moment of consumerist (laughs) mania. I've used it twice. The rosettes are delicious, but like I've used it twice. And um, I've gone from that to now. One of my favorite feelings is like dropping a box of stuff off Mm -hmm. at Goodwill or at a friend's house. Oh, my God. And being like, Mm -hmm. it's gone. It's oh gone. God, yes! Oh God, yes! That is like my oh, my, like we are a give it away, and it's funny because um, Andy is actually more than me because there are times when something, for instance, because again, I buy a lot of stuff cheaply. If I've had it five years or more, I'm like, well, you know what? We got our money's worth. It ran its course. And Andy's out here posting the stories. Who wants this? We'll meet you in the park. You know what I mean? Like, we are handing stuff over. We're doing drop-offs in the dark. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten – but, like, 
but he's right. It's more like sometimes I don't want to take the extra step where I'm like, I don't want to meet a random, but it's like so <laughs> like giving a coffee table, you know what I mean? As opposed mm-hmm. to just like, or obviously you can put it out, you know, on the sidewalk where we live mm-hmm. and someone might take it, but it's like giving it away, going to that Goodwill, honey, saying, take it, take it. And I make sure the clothes are clean and mm-hmm. washed. Always. Sometimes Folded, I put a little thing washed. inside that's like, yeah, yeah, like this is the size of stuff, you know, or like mm-hmm. this is the women, like women's clothing or, you know, whatever it is to kind of hopefully help them. I mean, I've never felt more alive and you feel good about yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you're like, it's out of my house and I am being of service. Oh, well, mm-hmm. my God, I'm done for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Um, okay. Final question before we take a quick break. How do you fight the urge to overconsume when it kind of comes upon you? Mm, that's a good cue. Oof. I so we are taking family photos on Sunday and I like I don't know what I'm going to want to wear. I rent a lot. I do I used to do rent the runway, now I do newly. I like new clothes and we're photographers stand up blah blah blah. So I like to have sort of like clothes coming in, clothes leaving and not feel like I'm contributing to the ocean being filled with forever 21. And so I made a deal with myself. Like I'm not, I'm in between newly shipments. So I was like, I do need to buy some tops for this family photo. Who knows what Conrad and CJ, CJ came home. He said, he's going to wear camo. I go, this is bad. Um, So I go, I don't know what goes with, I don't know what goes with your camo motif. And I think you're sending the wrong message to some of the people that will be getting this card. Yeah, no, he can't wear that. Yeah, he can't, he can't wear that. Naomi, I can't, I can't tell him. So I ordered, I ordered four tops from Anthropology, which is too many tops, but I was like, I am going to be allowed to keep one or two and then the rest go back. Like I already told myself I'm not keeping all of these tops because I don't need them and I'm purely doing this out of necessity because I'm going out of town and I Will need Will you the stick outfits. to this? Will you stick to this? Because now you're on recorded media. This is legally binding. I say this about every podcast. <laughs> Will you actually do that? Well, and I say that as somebody who doesn't like to go to the post office, which is why I also tend to not make Well, so what I, what I have to do too is I bought from Anthropology specifically because I'm like, oh, I can go to the Americana. I'll have a nice experience. Okay. But okay. a blessing and a curse, clothes tend to look chic on me. And so if they come, (laughs) if they come and all four look good, no, I'll get like three of them are like glittery sort of tops. And it's like, I can't buy three glittery tops at 37. You know, like that's, that's a one, that's a one glittery top season. (laughs) Uh, Naomi, do you think that the post office is in cahoots with big capitalism to try to convince people to keep more shit they don't need? Absolutely. They don't make it easy. No, they yeah. don't make it easy. I walk in my post office, don't matter what time of day, <laughs> lying out the door and everybody coughing. You know they don't want me in there. They don't want me in there returning nothing. I said to CJ yesterday, I go, two people at UPS at the end of November is not enough people working. Like, we are, we got to be hiring for the season. We need to have this staffed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Alyssa, how about you? How do you, how do you resist the compulsion to overconsume? Well, one, there is the fear that my husband sees a lot of boxes um, because he <laughs> is. Shame. This it's such shame. I'm like, no, it's a chewy box. It's for the cats. Um, but he is a very rigorous one in, one out. His mission in life is to make sure that the polar bears see the next century, uh. and so he is 
we have really tried to you guys were focused on retirement. Ugh. And I'm like, is that pair of pants getting me any closer to retirement right now? Wow. You know, like, because I had so many things. Guys, I am five foot two. I should only be buying petites. I buy loads of things <laughs> that aren't petite. They don't fit. They ultimately have to go. It's terrible. So I've really just mostly, I've stopped, I have limited my consumption by being like looking myself in the mirror and being like, you know, that won't fit. You know, that's not going to look good. You know, that's not for you. And then also like, thinking about the polar bears. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't need this. And most of the stuff now, like the shirt I have, is like made by a woman who lives here in upstate New York. And uh, it's like obsessed. a little bit more expensive, but you can put it in permanent press. <laughs> and it's like super sturdy. So I'm trying to buy only sturdy made in America where I can. My baby boom is- fantasy, Alyssa. I just, you know. <laughs> Alyssa lives the dream. And I then know. I'm like, guys, and let she- me tell you something. When you live in the woods... And you go to the post office, there's no line. Ah! Nobody there. Nobody That's there. That's true. You know the and person And sometimes they'll the even counter. sneak you the tape for free when you show up no. with your box unfastened. Wow. I'm just saying, guys, come live with me. Wow. It's it's like an elfin fantasy sometimes. <sighs> <laughs> also, sometimes, sometimes a little MAGA than where you live, but like you take the good, you take the bad. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com. Enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. 
A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. All right, time for Sani Petty. Alyssa, do you want to kick us off? Okay, gang. I love the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I love it. I don't care. I watch it every year. A couple years ago, we interviewed Katie Couric, and I asked her because she anchored Mm -hmm. it. Like, Katie, what's your favorite memory? And she's like, that's a stupid question. And I was like, (gasps) okay, thanks. Um, (laughs) What? She was, was, Caroline's my witness. She's like, different question. I was like, all right, I'll come up with a different question. I meant it, though, because I love the parade. So anyway, I am sitting with my family uh, on last Thanksgiving and watching the parade, and we come to the end. And JJ's really excited, my niece. She's like, my God, Santa's coming, Santa's coming. And then I saw goddess Cheryl Lee Ralph. She was... So she's the first celebrity to be Mrs. Claus. She is the first black woman to be Mrs. Claus in the parade. She has a new song coming out. She looked so gorgeous. She was so full of life. Dream girls vibes all over the place. And anyway, it was just, uh, it was just, it was, I loved every minute of it. And I felt like. Unless you have kids, maybe you don't make it all the way to the end of the parade. Or maybe I'm the only adult in America without kids who watches the parade. Also entirely possible. But if you didn't miss it, check out her photos. People Magazine had a nice spread on her. And I just thought it was delightful. And honestly, Mrs. Claus visibility. Okay? She's doing a lot. I think we need to start appreciating. Oh, my God. I'm sending you all the Mrs. Claus Claus. song. There is a song by, like, two Mormon girls about how, like, Mrs. Claus is the backbone of the home. And without St. Nick wasn't a saint. She came in and whipped him into shape. Okay? You know I'm Googling this. Oh, my gosh. What? That sounds like some propaganda, first of all. As long as it's feminist. (laughs) Tiffany Alvord is who sings the song. Yeah, no, it's two Tiffany's. I believe it's two Tiffany's. It is a duet between two Tiffany's. Tiffany Alvord and Tiffany Houghton. Perfect. Okay. You guys, I'll be circulating this. Tiffany's. Those are the least weird names of any Mormons. Uh, Megan, do you want to go next? Yes. Speaking of Mormon music, um, I went (laughs) to see Mariah Carey at the Hollywood Bowl two Fridays (gasps) ago, and it was transcendent. She looks amazing. She is upright. Like I was like, she is going to be carried around and then on on a chaise lounge. She is like, she's, she's moving. She's, is she singing? I don't know. I don't care. Like it was so fun. It was, it was like 90% Christmas music. And then she did a, a medley of some major hits, sang hero, the entire crowd singing. I wept. And so Los Angeles was the first show, I believe, but she's going on the road. She's doing like a bunch of cities through New York, Philly, Detroit, Montreal, Pittsburgh. Like she's going to be doing this until the Megan, end. She doesn't need the press. I know. She doesn't need the PR. You're listing the dates. You're listing the location. I know, but I'm letting the <laughs> listeners know to look up the tour dates because if they're close, I went with um, 
I went with three, four girlfriends and CJ. Like when CJ found out I was going, he goes, I need to go. And it was so fun. Her kids are like heavily featured in the show in such a sweet way. And if you like Christmas and you like Christmas music, it was, it was so amazing. Uh, one of my friends is going to Chicago. She lives in LA and she's flying out to Chicago for the Chicago uh, date. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Chicago's a great Christmas town, too. Yeah. It's so a great Christmas like, town. That'll be a really fun thing to do. Um, okay. Mine's about Christmas, too. Mine is uh, a petty. I'm feeling petty. I'm feeling petty about Christmas lights. We just mm. decorated the exterior of our home this past, like, week. And I bought these, like, bre- these new lights this year that to, like, wrap around, that have, like, a clear cord so that they don't look weird mm-hmm. on our, our fence. And they have eight modes, eight <laughs> modes. They are twinkling. They're blinking. They're doing this weird like casino run thing yeah. where the lights move Chasers. all the way down. Chasers. I, I don't need that. Why are you like that? I don't need it. That's a function that I don't want. I don't need. I want the lights. And then also the first mode when you plug it in is not just the lights are on. The first mode is like, blinking like no. you need to put up strobe. a strobe yeah you the first mode is like you need to put up a sign that's like photosensitive viewers may need to take caution before looking at my christmas display <laughs> so like i have to sit there every time i turn it on and like click through several modes before i get to the lights just on mode no i don't need this who added this who decided that this is what the lights were going to do i don't what? No, no. Am I paying extra for this? Can I get the money mm. back? Can you just mm-hmm. do it regular? I don't. Why? Why? Making unnecessary improvements that don't help anybody mm-hmm. and make it worse for me. I don't like it. I don't like it. I agree just, with that. I have some I just of those. Want lights on. Can't lights. stand them. Yeah. Just, just lights on. Plug them in. Go bright. Maybe, remember back in the old days, you'd get the one bulb that had (laughs) the red stripe that if you put it in, made the whole set flash. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you got what you paid for. Mm -hmm. But I have, Erin, I have some of those lights and they're battery operated. Mm -hmm. If you put them on anything other than stay on, the battery drains in like 10 seconds. Yeah, that's really annoying. I do want to give a shout out that Aaron's Halloween decorations were Beyond. so incredible. Really? Like, so amazing. Conrad, they were like go- goblins coming out of the ground. And Conrad was like, I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're probably going to do the same thing next year that we did this year and just have people come over to our house and like stop off and eat and drink and hang out in the decorations because the kids that were running around were like in a wonderland yep. of fear. Yep. They were having such a good, <laughs> Loved it. Having such a good time. Um, well, thank you, Megan. That's very nice of you of to say. Naomi, petty or sanity corner? You know what, honey? The line is thin. <laughs> okay? The line is thin between petty and sane because sometimes being petty keeps me sane. Now, something, I don't know. There's so many things uh, to yell about. But okay, you know what? We had Thanksgiving, right? And what I think we need to be taking away from Thanksgiving, which we're not taking away, is we all need to be getting together and eating at 3 p.m., okay? Every time people want to get together and do stuff in the evening, Thanksgiving proves that 3 p.m. is the ideal time for stuffing. 
It's the ideal time for human interaction. What I love about Thanksgiving is you are off the clock by five. You done by five. Mm -hmm. And then you get your time back. Why aren't we doing that year round? Why are we playing games and just doing this one day? Mm -hmm. We're at our best. We are at our best in the late afternoon as a society, as a culture. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. At 3 p.m., you can like take the morning and just eat like a light breakfast Mm -hmm. and you're super hungry by 3 p.m. You can really like enjoy all the food and then you don't need to eat another meal. That thank you. And And you can digest before bed. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. You're digested before bed. And I mean, also, it's not, it's also just like kind of the socializing of it all. Like Thanksgiving, like mine is small lately, but like even when it was like a big family thing, like we didn't hang out past seven. You know what I mean? No. Like, even if you were kind of chilling afterwards, like, you were kind of done. And I'm like, why are parties really out here starting at 8 p.m.? Why are we saying <laughs> meet me out? And that's 8 p.m. for us as, like, grown, tired women. You know what I mean? With the the sun going down at, off at 10 p.m. 4.45. It's like, I want all these <laughs> holiday parties to start at 5 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Get yes. me out. The, I want to be back in bed. I, not in bed, per se, but I need to be in a pajama pant by 8.15. That's it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Naomi, if you guys lived upstate, you'd Woo. be coming to a cookie party in the next couple of weeks that starts at 3 p.m. <sighs> and ends at 5. Ugh. Yes, this is what a I'm cocktail, saying. a snack, decorate your cookies, home with your feet up, laundry folded by 5.30. Wow. That's what I'm talking Ugh. about. Wow, that's, that's living. Ideal. That's, that's living. Ideal. I'll have a cookie party, but I'm only inviting Aaron and Naomi. I don't want to have to clean my house. <laughs> <laughs> awesome i'll i'll be there i'll 100 be there once i test negative for oh, covid true. after this ordeal um okay that's all the time we have for this week's episode naomi and megan thank you so much for joining us Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die thank you to carrie brownstein and corin tucker of sleater kinney for joining me and listeners thank you so much for sticking with us. I love seeing your Spotify wrapped where mm. we are among your top podcasts. That always touches my heart. We love you guys. And there will be more hysteria next week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Subscribe to Hysteria on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a nice review. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okolate, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. 